be really great if there was a cup holder here. That's amazing. Ask and ye shall receive. Uh, so Erica said that she thinks there might be somebody more tired than her, and yes, there is. That's me. Um, so bear with me. It has been a week. Um, hi, everyone. Good morning. Um, welcome to Liminal. My name is April Lynn. I'm one of the teachers here at Liminal Church, and I'm really happy to see you all. Um, okay, so before we get started today, let me ask you a question, and I'd like you to answer with a show of hands. Raise your hand if you have ever worried about anything in your life. Um, okay, yeah, that's everyone, good. Um, now, keep your hand raised if you've worried about something this year in 2023. Okay, good, still everyone. Uh, what about the last 30 days? Okay, good, doing good. Uh, what about in the last week? Anyone? Okay, now raise your hand if you've worried about something since you woke up this morning. Cool, that's a lot more people than I expected. Um, oh, I should have raised my hand for all those as well. <laughs> the truth is, we humans are a worried, anxious species of creature. If we stopped and made a note every time we worried about something on a daily basis, we would probably be astonished. Um, I had planned to do this experiment this morning to let you know how many things I'd worried about before I got here, um, and then I just didn't, so sorry about that, but it was several. So why do we do that? Why do we spend so much of our lives worried about things that probably won't happen, or if they do, are almost never as bad as we imagined? So that brings us to today's topic. We're a little over halfway through a series that we are calling The Power of a Good Question, where we've been taking a look at some of the questions that we find in the Bible. And the question that I have chosen for today is this. Can any of you add an hour to your lives by worrying? Now, my guess is that most of you, if you spent any time in or even near any church, um, you're familiar with this passage. It's a question that Jesus asks in the book of Matthew, and it's a favorite among Christians when we or someone we know is anxious, worried, or afraid. And as we established a few minutes ago, that is all of us. Now, some of us are more prone to worry than others, right? Some of you tend to almost never worry, maybe even to your detriment, right? Maybe you could stand to worry just a little bit more. <laughs> like, maybe you should worry about food poisoning before you decide to eat those leftover fish tacos that have been sitting out all day. But for others of us, worries and anxiety are frequent and often painful companions in our life. Honestly, this message is just as much a pep talk for me as it is a message for you. This last year has been a strange, challenging season of my life, uh, and it seems like it has been for a lot of other people too. Lots of people I talk to are feeling stuck and lost, not sure how to get unstuck or where to go next, or if they'll ever find what they're looking for. So, if this is you, I hope that this message offers you some encouragement and perhaps a new perspective on what Jesus is saying about worry when he asks this question. So let's start by looking at some of the passage surrounding the question. Uh, I'm going to be reading Matthew 6, 25 through 29, and I'm reading from the New International Version. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, Jesus' question is rhetorical, of course. The answer is implied within the question. Uh, what is the answer that Jesus wants his listeners to understand? Anyone? Right. No, right? None of us can extend our lives by worrying. It doesn't work. But in some ways, the answer to this question is actually a resounding yes. Yes, Jesus, we can extend our lives by worrying. Like, we are living beings who have needs if we're going to survive, right? If we aren't worrying about food and drink and clothing and shelter, we probably aren't going to survive long. Like, we need these things. It's not optional, especially not the food or the drink parts. But to give context for what Jesus is saying, I am going to take us all the way back to the beginning of chapter 5, to the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, our goal here is not to come up with the one authoritative way of interpreting this passage, right? We're going to look at one particular facet, one angle of how to interpret it. Uh, and the angle I'm going to look at comes largely from Tim Mackey of The Bible Project and a couple of podcasts I found of his. Um, and if you're interested in listening to those afterwards, let me know. I can get you a link. Um, I didn't have time to get it in the Bible app, uh, the liminal app notes. Uh, so, yes, moving on. Uh, so rather than summarize Tim's summary of where we are in the book of Matthew at this point, I'm just going to quote what he says to start with. So he says, Jesus had been going around announcing the kingdom of God to all the wrong sorts of people, the sick, the hurting, the poor, the insignificant spiritual zeros of his day. And these are the first people to whom he offers the kingdom and the opportunity to enter into God's reign over the world. So he brings them all to this mountain and is teaching the good news of the kingdom. You actually are the blessed ones, the ones to whom I'm offering this kingdom. And you are all called to be the salt and the light out there in the world. Now, remember, people were justifiably confused about what Jesus had been doing. Their understanding had been that the kind of righteousness you needed to enter God's kingdom was defined by the Torah, the law. And many of them, including the Pharisees and anyone who followed their teachings, had focused on devoutly teaching and following those laws, all 600 plus of them. But here comes Jesus, and he has been blatantly ignoring the laws of the Torah, or so it's, excuse me, so it seems. He's been healing and working on the Sabbath. He's been hanging out with people who are the exact opposite of righteous and holy, like lepers and tax collectors and prostitutes and blind people. And now, the way Jesus starts his sermon on the mountain might not have clarified a lot of things for them. He starts out with these nine statements that we call the Beatitudes, which comes from the Latin word for blessing. 
And in them, he talks about the people, the kinds of people who are blessed or happy or fortunate in the kingdom of God. And again, it's totally the wrong kind of people. The meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, the people who mourn, the poor in spirit. Like, come on, Jesus, these people don't sound like winners. This is a completely different reality than what anyone expected. It's not the one where the wealthy and the powerful and those with high social standing come out on top. The value system is completely topsy-turvy. And Jesus knows this is counterintuitive. Tim Mackey says that this is why Jesus spends so much time teaching on the kingdom. Tim says that he's teaching a new way of being human, some of which overlaps with ways we already live, and some of which actually exposes how screwed up are the ways that we live. He's calling us to retrain how we live. And it's not as if Jesus is calling his followers to just leave their current community and go live in a commune somewhere, right? He's not saying, go take this new way of being human and do it in a separate place. He makes this clear in the next part of his sermon. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's calling his followers to be examples to the rest of the world that they already live in and show everyone else what it looks like to live in this new reality of the new kingdom that he's ushering in. So we're going to breeze through the rest of this outline that is cool, is up there. I always get paranoid that I'm going to be talking about things that aren't there. Um, so next, Jesus makes some puzzling statements about how he's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the sort of people who are going to be the least and the greatest in the kingdom. And then he spends a large part of the rest of his sermon giving examples about how life in this kingdom is different than what anyone has expected. Um, he spends a lot of time contrasting what people have been taught with how the kingdom of God actually works. Um, and if you are familiar at all with it, this is the you have heard, but I therefore I tell you statements. And then there are a couple other areas where he contrasts a few things after that. And this gets us pretty much caught up to where I want to spend the rest of our time. But first, I want to look at a key word at the beginning of the passage on worry. Therefore. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, uh, okay, Aprilin, that's not a very interesting word. Why is that important? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> it's important because when you start a sentence with the word therefore, you're implying there's a logical connection with whatever you just said. So let's take a look at what Jesus just said before he says that we shouldn't worry about our lives. Uh, and this is starting with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then, the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So now we'll move into the passage that we read before. Therefore, 
I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, at first, these two passages may not seem to be parallels. One of them is talking about treasure and money, and the other one is talking about food and drink and clothing. But remember, wealth in those days very often took the form of livestock or grain. Um, the Greek word that we translate treasures in most English Bibles is thesavros, which can mean either the place where the valuable things are kept, like a treasury or a storehouse, or the valuable thing itself. So, in my humble opinion, as someone who is neither a Bible scholar or a New Testament Greek scholar, I would like to propose an alternate translation. Perhaps valuables or even riches would be more appropriate. After all, it's unlikely that moths and vermin are going to be eating away your rubies and your gold, which is what we think of when we hear treasures, at least it's what I think of, pirates and whatnot. Um, that was not in my script. I just went off script. <laughs> um, so Jesus is saying, don't store up valuables on earth. Uh, he might even, we might rephrase it to say, don't hoard things of value on earth because they can get destroyed and stolen. Now, we don't have a lot of experience with famines here in Southern California in our modern world, and most of us are not hoarding grain in storehouses, but we did all get a first-hand in hoarding, first-hand lesson in hoarding back in 2020. Remember toilet paper shortages, hand sanitizer, masks? If we weren't already hoarders, we learned how to be. And why? because we didn't know when we'd have access to those things again. Suddenly, things that had been abundant were scarce. And I think that this right here is central to understanding what Jesus is saying about worry and anxiety. Why do we worry when all it does is make us miserable? Well, we worry because we look at the world and we see scarcity. We know that we live in a world where nothing is guaranteed. We have our health now, but will that last? We know that it won't. We may have a job now, but what about when the economy takes a turn? What about when annual reviews come around and our boss points out all the ways that we've been falling short and not hitting our quotas? The world is filled with things that threaten our safety, security, and happiness. There are so many threats that it could be overwhelming, so many threats that we often feel helpless. 
And in fact, we know in a lot of ways that we are helpless. We can't control the weather. Most of us don't have the power to control the economy. We can only do so much to protect our health. And so we worry. I know that for me, one of the reasons I can get caught up in spirals of worry is this pithy saying I learned growing up, better safe than sorry. And how do I keep myself safe instead of sorry? I prepare for every possible outcome. And how do I do that? I run through all those possible scenarios in my mind. If I've considered everything that could possibly happen, then I've considered potential solutions, and I'll be prepared no matter what happens. Right? Right. It's a way of feeling like I have some control over the uncontrollable. And it turns out that at some level, this is actually a built-in natural part of being human. It's natural for us to want to make sure we're happy and provided for, that our families and loved ones are provided for and happy. And our brains are actually hardwired to fantasize about future scenarios that could meet our needs and watch out for threats that could get in the way. It turns out there's been, um, turns out there's actually a reason that our minds are prone to wandering and daydreaming. There's been a lot of interesting research done, I discovered in the last 15 or 20 years, on mind wandering. And if you're interested, you can look up the phrase default mode network and enjoy the rabbit trail it will send you down. I really wanted to talk about this, but uh, it was already going long, so I cut it out so you guys can do the research yourself. Um, but the problem is, this process of analyzing threats and imagining future scenarios and problem solving goes haywire a lot of the time. Instead of using the incredible power of our brain to solve problems when we see a threat, we become obsessed. We hoard toilet paper and bottled water. We worry to the point where we can't sleep, can't eat, can't think straight because now we've activated our fight and flight response. So not only can we not add a single hour to our lives when this happens, when this becomes chronic, we are now affecting our immune systems, our blood pressure, our ability to communicate with one another, our ability to make smart decisions, and our ability to live in joy. So back to Jesus's solution. He says that instead of hoarding, we should not worry. Why? Well, most of us have heard don't worry from enough well-meaning people in our lives that it feels kind of trite, right? Like a useless solution. Just don't worry, everything will be fine. But Jesus' point is deeper than just don't worry. His answer is that the topsy-turvy kingdom of God that he's proclaiming is a kingdom of abundance, not scarcity and it's been created by a generous God. Stop and look at the world around you, Jesus says. Look at the birds and the flowers. See how God has provided for them, even though they don't stress out about it? Not only has he provided for them, but he's done so lavishly. He didn't need to make flowers beautiful. For that matter, he didn't need to design us in such a way that we think flowers are beautiful. He didn't need to make bird songs so lovely. God created the world of the flowers and the birds and the fields to be object lessons for us about what the kingdom of heaven is like. We have a choice, Jesus says. We can live with that scarcity mindset, hoarding our resources and worrying over every potential threat until we make ourselves sick with us, sick with it. 
If we let ourselves see the world as a place where there's not enough of everything to go around, uh, a place where there are threats waiting for us at every turn, uh, he says that will eat into our hearts and our minds and our souls. Our whole body will be full of darkness, he says. But if we seek the ways of the kingdom, that's how we learn to see the joyful abundance that God is waiting for us. Not as a reward for praying hard enough, not as some sort of prize or payment for following his laws and doing the right things, but as a natural result of living out the kingdom ways that he taught. Because remember what Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. He said that his followers, the citizens of the kingdom, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The kingdom isn't just Jesus sitting on a throne, throwing around orders, making decisions on our behalf. We get the dual joy of being welcomed into the kingdom by God, a kingdom of abundance. And then we literally create this kingdom of generosity and abundance on earth through the way we live in community and demonstrate these values that he's teaching, generosity and peacemaking, humility, love. Now, this doesn't mean that the worst things that we can imagine won't happen. It doesn't mean that we will always have enough of what we think we need or even enough of what we do need to live. The good news is not follow God and life will be perfect. What it does mean is that we have a choice about which system of values we want to follow. We can follow the value system that says, watch out because everything in life is out to get you. Or you can follow the value system that says, you have the opportunity to be part of building a new reality where joy and love and humility rule the day. And I don't know about you, but I think that's really exciting. I've never gotten a single moment of peace or health or happiness from worrying. But on the other hand, the glimpses I've gotten of the kingdom are beautiful and full of joy, even when things aren't going my way. The fact that I get to be part of making that a reality for other people is pretty amazing. Now, I know all this is easy to say. Uh, it may not actually erase the pain you're experiencing due to your worries. Once we get into a habit of worry, it's hard to stop. Once those worries start lodging in our minds as stress and anxiety, they tend to spiral. As nice as it would be if we could just pray ourselves or think ourselves out of worrying or being anxious, the reality is that our minds and our bodies are a connected whole, and neurochemistry and hormones and neural pathways are complicated. So I want to leave you with a few practical tools. Mm. The first is this. Anxiety grows in isolation. So if you are struggling with worries that you can't seem to shake, please talk to somebody about them. Whether it's a loved one or a professional counselor or a doctor or someone from our pastoral care team. Sometimes medication can help us get our brain chemistry back in order so that we can start to see clearly again. Sometimes we just need to hear someone we love tell us that we're not alone and that they have our, they have our back. Sometimes we need to talk to somebody who's professionally trained to help us work through our thoughts and our worries and start to see them more clearly. Not only is there no shame in any of this, it is good and healthy and wise. If you'd like to talk to someone on our pastoral team, 
Uh, I have their contact information up there. You can reach out to either Ginny Downing or Wayne Randolph, and I know at least one of them is here right now. Uh, Ginny, would you just like raise your hand? And I don't think I saw Wayne, uh, but he is usually here. Um, skipping out. Uh, <laughs> so you can either flag them down on a Sunday or you can email them, and they would love to help you um, in whatever way they can. Another tool you can use if worry has hijacked your brain is mindfulness. Now, I can hear some of you already groaning, saying, not more of that meditation crap. I have tried it, and my brain just won't shut up. It's not for me. So for that, I would say that the goal of mindfulness meditation isn't actually to force your mind to be quiet. Um, that's really hard for most people to do. The goal is simply to intentionally focus on something else, whether it's your breath or the ocean waves or the flowers on the hike that you're on, and then just learn to notice the moments when the internal chatter takes over again, when you've stopped focusing on the thing you were trying to focus on and you're instead thinking about whatever else it is. And then you gently turn your focus back. And as soon as you do that, even once, you're making progress. You're learning to redirect your attention and halt the thought spirals in their tracks. There are some apps that are great for learning to do this in just three, five, ten-minute chunks a day. Um, you don't need to sit for hours in meditation to make use of mindfulness. And I can tell you from experience that even the ones that have a monthly fee, it's not much, and it's usually really, really worth it. And then last, I have one final tool that I'd like to offer you. Um, this is something that I started personally probably about 10 years ago. It is in this little book. I call it my desert survival kit. Um, and on the inside cover, I wrote this. For times of darkness, fear, anxiety, wandering in the wilderness, uncertainty, worry, panic, doubt, brokenness, pain, loneliness, despair, desperation, weariness, and stumbling. You are not alone. Um, and inside, I've written down quotes and verses. Anytime I find something that really speaks to me when I'm struggling, uh, song lyrics, poems, or even bullet points from a sermon that I found particularly helpful, I write it down. And then when I'm in one of those dark places again, I open it up and start reading. Um, either I just start from the beginning or I flip to a random page. Um, the contents have shifted a lot over time. Sometimes the, what I put here is extremely religious. Sometimes it doesn't mention God or faith at all. Whatever I found that helped me in a dark moment. Sometimes it isn't even uplifting. So if you're a collector and a curator of the written word, maybe get a notebook and try it yourself. What I find is that it just reminds me of all the moments that I've gotten through whatever it is before all the ways that I've found God to be faithful, all the ways that I've found peace in the midst of whatever dark, scary place I found myself in. And speaking of words, uh, that was a lot of them, and I didn't have a good way to wrap this up, so I'm just going to stop there. Um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to have the band come up here, and then I'll get off the stage. So, God, Heavenly Father, 
We are worried people. We see the world around us full of threats, full of uncertainty, and we don't know what to do with that. And it turns to obsessive worry in our minds. It makes us sick, and it steals our joy. But we want to learn to see your world of abundance and generosity and joy. We want to learn what it's like to live in the kingdom where these worries don't have to rule us, where they can take our proper place as problem-solving tools rather than as things to eat away at our life. Um, so Lord, help us to do this. Help us to see your goodness. Help us to see all the ways that you love us before we even know what to ask for. Thank you for being a good father. We love you.